Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on water treatment knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi folks, I'm Trace Blackmore. I am the host of Scaling Up. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for trying some of the things that we're talking about on this show. I want to thank you for being a better water treater tomorrow than you are today. I have heard from many of you and the things that I have been hearing proves to me that this show is worthwhile and we as a water treatment group are scaling up on water treatment knowledge, hopefully so we're not scaling up our systems. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate all the information that you guys have been giving me, either through emailing me directly, calling me, or going to my webpage at scalinguph2o.com and going to the show notes page and telling me what you think. That's where I'm getting all my ideas from. That's where I'm getting my feedback from. That's what I know what to talk about. So I thank you for that. One of my favorite ways to tell people what it is that I do as a water treater is that I am a heat transfer efficiency manager. Everything we do revolves around that simple fact. We are making sure that all the equipment that we are treating is transferring that heat from where we don't want it to where we're going to send it to as efficiently as it possibly can go. Our job is heat transfer efficiency management. So with that in mind, my challenge to you is to go and look at all of your accounts and say, how am I doing this? Am I truly being an effective heat transfer efficiency manager? One of the things that I see when the mechanical contractor or even the water treater goes to hook up control equipment on a cooling tower, it's wherever we can get the easiest flow. Well, it's nice to have flow, But it's also important to make sure that we're drawing water from the right areas, making sure that we're efficiently managing that heat. Now, what am I talking about here? Think about the cooling tower bleed. Well, it doesn't matter where we bleed the cooling tower from. We're getting rid of that water anyway, so why not just take it where it's convenient off of the system and throw it down the drain? Well you now know that you're a heat transfer efficiency manager. So you're going to look at this differently now. You're going to say, wait a second. As a water treater, my primary function is a heat transfer efficiency manager. And I now need to look at the system and see how I can do a better job of managing that heat transfer. So think about what's going on here. We're taking heat out of the building. And then ultimately, it's going to the cooling tower, where the cooling tower is going to disperse that heat into the atmosphere. So we don't want the hot water. So wouldn't it make sense for us to bleed the hottest water out so we can get rid of it? Now, we know that that high solids hot water that we're bleeding out is going to be replaced with low solids cool, cooler, makeup water. So why would we ever bleed water that we paid to cool? We pumped it out to the cooling tower. We had those fans kick on and we pumped it all the way back and then we're going to bleed it out. It doesn't make sense, especially when we're heat transfer efficiency managers. 
So the next time you install a system, think about bleeding the hottest water out, knowing that we don't want that hot water in there anyway. We can replace it with the cool incoming low solids makeup water. And now the system is a little bit more efficient. I'm here today with Connor Parrish of FCT Water. And Connor, I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag because people don't know this, but you were the driving force that pushed me to produce this podcast. So folks out there, if you do not like this show, you now have somebody to blame. How are you doing, Connor? I'm doing well, Trace. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Connor, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is, quite frankly, I'm really impressed with the amount of time that you've been in the water treatment business, which is not very long, and the amount of knowledge that you've been able to pick up. And one of the themes of this show is how can we become a better water treater tomorrow from what we were today? And I really think that you live that. So I'm hoping through today's interview, you can share some tips and some ideas that you do on a regular basis that might motivate somebody, hey, I can do that too. And they're also going to be a better water treater tomorrow than they are today. How does that sound? That sounds great. Well, Connor, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, how you got involved in water treatment, where you went to school, things like that. Okay, so I guess a good place to start would be uh, college. I went to Drake University uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. It's a small uh, private school there. Um, my family is from the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas City, um, had family in Des Moines, and decided that that would be a good fit. Um, from Des Moines, I ended up out here in Colorado working for FCT Water through some connections I made uh, at Drake, knew I wanted to be in Colorado, and uh, actually knew about the water treatment industry because of my dad. He works for a company, CE Water, in Kansas City. Um, so when the opportunity to work for a water treatment company presented itself to me, I uh, was maybe the rare case of uh, actually knowing what exactly water treatment was. Now I've learned a lot since then that there's a whole lot more to it than what I thought I understood that it was. But uh, I knew enough to know that it would be an interesting uh, career and decided to, to jump on in and, and really commit to learning it and getting to where I am today. Well, Connor, how long have you been in the industry? Oh, I started on January 5th, 2015. So what is that? A little over two years now, two years, four months. And what do you, what do you like most about this industry? I think the, the biggest thing for me is that it's dynamic. Um, I'm not very good at sitting around and doing one thing all day. Um, I need to be challenged in, in, in different ways. So with water treatment, you have the technical piece, the science piece, which I loved. Uh, I was an environmental science major at Drake. Um, really loved digging into the why and the theory and all that, which I get to do with water treatment, which is fantastic. Uh, I love dealing with people. Um, and there's a lot of um, relationship building and, and dealing with all different types of people in the industry. And then um, really it's just not at a desk, which was important to me. Well, let me ask the same question, but in the reverse. What do you like least about this job? Probably the thing that I like least is how in most instances you're dealing in an imperfect uh, environment. And what I mean by that is, I like to know all the answers to all the variables and all the inputs into a system, and oftentimes that's not something that you're afforded in this industry. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me to get used to 
um, moving forward and working with incomplete information and then working backwards once you learn a little bit more about a system that you're taking over or an existing system that, you know, you're trying to learn more about. Um, from your customer, and they just don't have the answers that you seem to want. And then, and then you got to, of course, guess until you find the answer. And right, and and, and that's that's a difficult thing for me. I, I want to, you know, be very precise and know exactly what I'm I'm getting into. And so I'm getting used to that, and and I understand that it's a part of it. And really, I'm coming to appreciate it because it makes it, in some ways, you become a detective or. Um, you know, a researcher really trying to, to come to the bottom of what may be causing some problems that you're observing. Well, Connor, I know one of the goals that you have is to get your certified water technologist designation. What are you doing to make sure that you're as prepared as you can be when the day comes that you can take that test? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that, that I'm doing. Uh, I'm fortunate to work for a company that invests a whole lot in education. So I'm able to attend the AWT training seminars, which are incredible. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, my involvement with the AWT and how I've benefited from that uh, later on. But really, that's that's a big starting point because you're surrounded by, you know, other CWTs or other people aspiring to be CWTs. And so it kind of really opens up uh, your eyes to what the possibilities are. Now, in addition to that, I, I do a lot of reading. Um, I've, I've got the TRTM, the Technical Reference and Training Manual. And of course, that's that's fantastic. That's like my Bible. I like to say I, I, I read through that probably more than I should or care to admit. Um, but I find it fascinating. Uh, the analyst is, is a big one. Um, and then if I find something that I'm curious about, I'll just start Googling and reading. So maybe it's not directly related to the CWT, but I know if I build a, a breadth of knowledge that was, you know, that's, if I, if I build my knowledge to a point where, um, I, I've got a whole, whole heck of a lot of it, then the CWT, um, test in theory should, um, be something that I'm able to, to pass. And then, Maybe the most important piece of, of it all is building relationships with existing CWTs and asking a lot of questions when there's something that I see that I don't understand and is not readily available and, you know, typed out in a perfect answer for you to Google. Uh, I will warn you that Angela Pike is a listener to this show, and the CWT is not a test. It is it is an examination, so you're going to get a phone call about that. I just want to let you know. Uh, you know, I know better about it uh, as well. She lectured me for probably 10 minutes at one of the training seminars <laughs> in San Diego this, this spring, so um, I apologize, Angela. Something that our listeners, I'm betting, do not know is when they read the CWT requirements, it says you have to have five years in the industry. However, I know the CWT um, uh, requirements actually give you the ability to take some time off of that uh, if you have uh, some of the prerequisite. Do you mind sharing some of the prerequisites that you have so our members now know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, maybe verify all this with Angela. I don't want to get in trouble twice before in one interview with Angela. But I think uh, if you have a technical degree, um, for one, um, you know, a four-year degree, then that gives you uh, – you start off with 12 months of experience. Um, and then if you have a technical degree in a relevant field, um, so for me, environmental science applied, 
you know, chemical engineering, chemistry, biology. I'm not 100% sure what degrees fall into that category. I assume all of those are one. But with that, you get an additional six months. So you start off really with 18 months, and that's what I was fortunate to, to have happen. So now, really, I only need three and a half years in the field um, from an experience standpoint, and then, of course, passing the test and the, the letters of recommendations and all the other requirements for the CWT. Yeah, I get a lot of questions on when am I eligible to take the examination, and and folks, if you would, go online, uh, download the packet that uh, AWT has created to let you know all these things because uh, you might be eligible to – you can take the exam anytime you want, but to actually become a certified water technologist, you might be eligible a little sooner than you think. So thanks for yes. sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing I want to add to that, because um, I've been asking Angela about this because I do want to take the exam, is once you pass it, I believe it's only valid for 12 months. So you have to be within the 12 months of hitting your experience before you take the exam if you want it to count. Good tip. Well, you had mentioned that you have been to several training seminars, and I know a lot of our listeners, they say, oh, I went to technical training or I went to the fundamentals and applications training five years ago. I don't need to go back because I've already been there. That's not the attitude that you share. Do you mind letting our listeners know why you find it valuable to go back each and every year? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I guess – the first thing that comes to mind is I'm a huge nerd. So I, I, I actually enjoy sitting in class and learning and, and picking up on that. But I guess the, the important piece of that statement is I've gone three consecutive years now, and every single year I learn a, a lot. And that comes from, of course, the, the courses themselves and, and the training and, and the actual lecture portion. But maybe more importantly, especially now that I've done it three years, is the after hours or between session periods where you're able to interact with everyone that's there and, you know, start to pick up on other issues that other people are having and learn from their experience. Ask the instructors questions that you may, you know, normally have to pay quite a bit of money for as their consultants and, you know, their time's valuable. Um, and then hanging out at night and just building those relationships that you're able to draw from in, in times that, you know, you know that their experience will be able to help you. What's the best piece of advice that you've received from one of the technical training seminars? Oh, man. Now, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think of something broad and not, and not like a specific water treatment thing that, you know, that has implications more than to just one thing. Um, probably nothing's jumping to mind, but, you know, I, I think that what what one of the things that's really resonated with me is kind of in your training actually traced the the calculations training when or maybe it wasn't even the calculations training but it was one of your trainings when you talk about you know you don't want to be a bad water treater and so that's always kind of a, a looming thing in the back of my mind is okay what would what do I need to do so I don't have a bad reputation um, from my competitors and everyone else in this room? And I want to I be viewed in a light that, you know, if someone's going to try and compete against me or beat me or whatever, it's not because of a mistake that I've made or just negligence. So I think one of the that, – that's one big piece of it is just understanding that, you know, it's okay to not know everything, but as long as you're asking questions and seeking to – understand what may actually be happening versus just ignoring a problem, then you're on the right path. 
So who is your favorite trader at the AWT training seminars? You know, I feel like this is a loaded question considering uh, you're one of the trainers. But, no, in all seriousness, I, I, I enjoy uh, – your your sessions, you're animated in the training like you are are, are here, and of course we've gotten close. So um, certainly you're one of my favorite trainers. Um, and then you know the other one that really jumps out to me is uh, Jim Jim Lukanich. Uh, you know he I, I've here recently gotten to know him a bit more, and him and I are have a lot of shared interests, and he's very passionate about it, as are all the trainers. But he's uh, outwardly passionate. Um, very outwardly passionate, and, and I and I, you know, can kind of feed off of that energy. So on the last day of training, when Jim's teaching uh, and everyone else is dozing off, it, it he makes it easy to to stay focused and really feel um, energized uh, at the end of the day and ready to go really back to work on Monday, even though it's already Saturday night. Well, I will tell you that Jim is the trainer that all of us other trainers aspire to be. He, he truly is amazing. In fact, he's going to be a guest on our show in a couple of weeks, so please tune into that. Uh, Connor, as, one of, as being a water treater, we spend a lot of time in our cars, and I know that you really utilize that time to, to learn more and to be better. Do you mind sharing what you actually do in your car, what you listen to, uh, to our listeners? Yeah, I, I very rarely listen to music, and le- the one time I listen to music is if I find myself uh, probably more tired than I should be when I'm driving and I need the energy. But what I what I try to do really is twofold. I I listen to a lot of podcasts, and that's kind of why I had mentioned to you that this would be a great idea and something that um, I would personally utilize a lot. Um, as much content as you're able to put out, um, I, I, I think I told you uh, I would listen. Um, and then, you know, another podcast that I listen to um, is the Tim Ferriss Show. I have I guess I could describe myself as a fanboy of the Tim Ferriss Show. I've listened to all of his episodes, and they're quite long. But, again, we're in the car a lot, so it, it's a good one. And, and you know, his there's a lot to take away from, from his show as he brings in a lot of high performers and kind of distills down the tools and tactics that they use Um to have gotten to get to where they're at in their respective fields. And I think that that's um, interesting. And I, and I like to see if I can learn and take something and apply it to my life on that. And then the other thing that I do um, is I make a lot of phone calls. I've got hands free. And so I, I um, am able to just use my, you know, Siri or whatever and call you or call someone that I know is going to be able to answer questions that I may have and just try and um, chat with them and, 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 take advantage of that time that I otherwise would just be would be spent doing nothing. How would you go after a new account? What uh, what sales tips could you give our audience? Well, I think the most important sales tip is to you actually have to make sales calls. I know people don't want to want to hear that sometimes, but the starting point is going out there every day and and showing up and 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 when I say sales calls, I mean stop in and visit um, a facility even if you don't even have a contact's name. Um, that's something that has been instilled um, into me from from the owner of FCT Water, Mike Semeca, and uh, you know it's it's really stuck and it's it's proved to be successful. I mean, it takes time, of course, but that's the starting point. And then once you start getting more involved, I, I always like to sell from a from a positive standpoint, if that makes sense. I never want to really be negative about my competition. Um, I want to be positive about, you know, what FCT Water has to offer, what um, 
our knowledge and our customer service um, and really understand what it is that is lacking in their current program that they want, what they're seeking, um, and then really trying just to meet their needs and their expectations. And it's not an easy process, as, as everyone who's listening to this knows, but I think as long as you come at it with honesty and Another big thing is don't pretend that you know everything because oftentimes your customer knows a lot, whole heck of a lot more than you think and you don't want to come across as a know-it-all or say something that the customer knows is wrong. Um, so I think that that's important as well. And don't you find that even though you don't know the exact answer right then, if you commit to say, hey, I don't know that, but I'm going to get back to you, and then you do and you keep that commitment, that that is so much more powerful than if you were just able to spout off an answer right there when they asked you? Oh, absolutely. It shows that you're willing to put in some time and do some research to, to solve their problem, and I think that reflects on how your program would be for them as issues arise that you may or may not know the answer to they'll feel confident that you're going to be able to go out there and, and do some research and, and, and get them the answer that they need to fix their problem. And yeah, so I think that that's, that's huge. And the other piece of that is you're sticking to your word. If you make a commitment to do something and you, and you actually do it in the time frame that you suggested you would, it's going to you know, reflect well on you as a person in your company. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people I've seen that they will make up an answer just so they can have a reply right then and there, and that's that's not the way to do that, and you're living proof that, hey, people respect if you go out and find the answer and come back. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and, you know, as you as you already mentioned earlier with my experience and, and age, sometimes that can be a barrier, but I think if you just, one, show that you are technically competent um, and you do know what you're talking about. And when you don't, you're willing to go out and put in the effort to, to learn it and then share that, what you, that knowledge that you just gained with, you know, the prospective customer or your own customer that goes a long, long way. And actually, you and I are very similar in that case. I got involved, uh, actually started getting a paycheck in water treatment when I was 20 years old. So I, I know what you're going through. So uh, eventually that gray hair will come whether you want it or not, and I think that, that helps you a little bit. But, yeah, no, I agree that the gray hair thing may, may be, be a good or a bad thing. I'm not sure. So let's stay on the, the sales topic for, for a moment. What would you say that the biggest rejection statement you get is, and how do you overcome that? The biggest rejection statement, uh, you know, if I'm understanding the question correctly, probably the most difficult thing to me is when I, when I see a program – that I know is is very bad, yet the the company or the customer says, you know, I've had my water treatment guy in here for ten years and years or some crazy long number, and they're not even willing to to look at anything different. And to me, that's that's the hardest obstacle to overcome. Now it's not impossible, but typically it's it's one of those things where you just have to say, okay, well, here's a few things that I I noticed that I would be doing differently, um, give me a call if you still have these issues a year from now, and then I'll touch base then. Um, to me, that's the most frustrating and the most difficult is, you know, but that's sales. It's a relationship game, and I get that. But I, I, it, it is frustrating when I see a, a, a poorly run water treatment program that um, seems to be low-hanging fruit, but there's just a, a huge barrier to entry there. What would you say that you see more often than others that other water treatment companies could do a better job with? Well, 
I think you and I both agree on this one. Uh, a big one is corrosion coupons. Now, I understand that that's not always the water treatment company's fault um, in that uh, some of it comes down to the customer wanting to not wanting to retrofit a plumbing or anything like that. So there are some obstacles that, you know, require the water treatment company really having to be persistent on the customer and, and getting them to make that change. But, you know, that's a big one. Um, you're testing your, you know, your calcium and all your normal tests that give you a relatively good indication of what the scaling potential of a system might be. But it's very difficult in your monthly testing to discern whether or not you may be corroding the system. And, and that's, you know, a huge, huge portion of, of water treatment. Um, it's not just scaling, it's that. So probably that would be one thing uh, that I see as a, you know, as a, as a, I guess, room for improvement for a lot of water treatment companies. Yeah, and even when I do some consulting and people ask me to look at service reports and I will look to see if they have corrosion coupon reports to go along with those, uh, they'll say, well, the customer is not allowing us to put a corrosion coupon rack in. But as I go through the service reports, I don't see where they've even made that recommendation or put the comment in that the customer has rejected that recommendation. So you are right. The water trader may not be responsible for that, but if we can't back that up and something happens, you want to make sure that everything that happens goes in that service report. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if there's something that I feel really needs to be changed, I'm emphasizing it in every single report. That way, you know, if something ever does happen that um, could happen, you know, based off them not following my recommendation, it's right there in writing every single month or however often the service visits are stating, you know, this could be a potential issue and here's how we can fix it or at least understand what's going on. And if they choose to ignore it, I guess that's that's on them. Yeah, as long as it's documented, you know, hopefully we're making their program better by being there and working as a partner with them, but it's got to be a give and take on both sides. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier that you are involved with the Association of Water Technologies, and just uh, by participating, you've been able to gain a lot more than you've given. So a lot of people are thinking, well, is there any benefit to actually participating in the AWT? What am I ever going to get back? So my hope was you could speak around that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a place where, I guess, the the industry leaders are gathering, um, and or at least a good chunk of them um, are gathering and sharing thoughts and trying to um, lift the industry and progress it in, in, in ways that, you know, in numerous ways, there's the TRTM that I mentioned earlier. That's that's great. There's the technical trainings, um, of course, the convention, and so just by being around all that and seeing where the industry's headed and seeing what the people who have been extremely successful in their careers um, and gained a whole wealth of knowledge um, throughout their careers, what they're doing. Um, that's important. I think that you can take a lot from your observations just by being in the presence of these people and trying to figure out, okay, how did they get to where they are? Now, the other piece of that is you can directly build relationships with these same people um, that are then going to translate and you having another resource to, to learn from. Um, and then, of course, I, I've gotten involved now with the education committee, um, 
the there's a new STEM committee and that I'm a part of, and then also the online service tech training. And just again, by being involved with all of that, um, it's it's a great way just to hear what how everyone else in the industry is thinking and how they approach um, problems. And I think that that's valuable. Now I know a lot of people are intimidated to step up and say, "Hey, I want to volunteer." How did you do that? Uh, you know, I was just at the, the very first. Uh, probably the first training I was at, I, I immediately knew that, you know, this is something I want to be involved with. And I think I just started asking questions. I'm not sure that I actually volunteered then, but it was in the back of my mind. Uh, I think really the first time I decided to volunteer was at the convention in Nashville. I think, Trace, we got breakfast and, you know, it came up that you were a part of the education committee. And I think Right after that, I signed up, and from, from that point forward, I've now been involved in, you know, a few different things, including the Education Committee. Yeah, and you've done a lot of great things on the Education Committee. We're, uh, we're now doing the online service tech training, and you're, you're doing your fair share of that, I might add. Yeah, it's been a fun project, though. I get a lot out of it, and, you know, as, a, as you and, and the other AWT trainers can attest to, uh, teaching and going through the process of, you know, writing a curriculum is a – a great way to learn yourself. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's I guess, giving back and volunteering, but selfishly I get a whole heck of a lot out of it. So it, it, it's been a good experience. Well, you mentioned the convention, and I know a lot of people go to convention, and a lot of people don't know if they should go to convention. Uh, and, you know, going to the convention where all the business owners are, where every single supplier is, might be intimidating to some. So can you give a few tips on how somebody who's new in the industry can get the most out of the AWT convention? Yeah, I think the starting point is to, to recognize that it's, it's not nearly as intimidating as, as it may seem, uh, and just to kind of let the guard, your guard down and be okay with sounding, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, dumb. Uh, you know, you don't have to be the expert to be there. Um, in fact, Probably as a non-expert there, you're going to get a lot more out of it than, than most other people. And so to me, I just love walking around and talking to whoever uh, is manning the booths, um, playing. A lot of times I just play dumb and ask a lot of questions, even if I think they're stupid questions, because I don't want – I want to challenge my assumptions. So I'll just – you know, if I think – you know, if I don't understand something or I'm wondering why a company may be doing, you know, applying their technology in a certain way, I, I, I think that just asking the question why, is there's no harm in that. So – I guess stepping out of your comfort zone and realizing that it's okay to ask questions is, is a, is a huge piece to that. Um, and then the other side of it is, you know, going into some of the white paper presentations and the learning lounges, um, you can kind of hide in those. So if you really don't want to put yourself out there, um, those can be a still, um, a really good resource to, to take advantage of while you're at the convention without really, you know, having to feel intimidated. Well, that's a, that's a great tip, and for those of you that do want to put yourselves out there, we're going to try to do some live uh, broadcasts, or at least live recordings. Does that make sense, live recordings? Can I say that? <laughs> but uh, we're, going to try to, we're going to try to interview some people at the convention, as well as some people that are uh, in the, the vendor trade show, so we can see what's going on at the convention this year. So hopefully that works out well. I think that's a great idea. There's a, a lot of knowledge concentrated at the convention, uh, probably more so than at the technical trainings, just simply due to the fact that 
not only do you have the same people that are teaching the technical trainings at the convention, but you also have the rest of the committee members, you have the board, you have all of the suppliers and who they want there to represent their company. Um, and the supplier side of things, they have a, a lot of knowledge, of course, in the things that they're trying to, to supply to the industry. Um, so there's just a huge concentration of knowledge, and I think it's, it's a great place to be. Yeah, Connor, I think you were with me when somebody came up and asked me during a convention, how come we do not have technical trainings at the convention? And it's simply because we want to go to the convention too. So, if uh, if we were if we were there training, we weren't able to uh, to see all the wonderful things that the AWT convention has to offer. So, we offer it twice a year, but not at convention. Uh, Connor, what would you say your number one tip would be to a new water treater? My number one tip to a new water treater, uh, I think, really the first the first and most important thing is to to always be educating yourself. Um, there's so much to learn in this industry, um, and there's a lot of resources out there. So every night when you're done with, at the end of the workday, you know, after training or however you're starting at, with your company, continue that when you're home. Um, it, it's, it's easy to, I guess, accelerate the progression if you're doing that because before you don't know what you don't know. But as you start to build a little bit of a base, you start to realize, okay, here's some of the things that are out there that I need to educate myself on, and then you can be a little bit more targeted in the approach. But at the beginning, it's just trying to learn as much as possible, as fast as possible. That way you can really start to isolate down what it is that you need to be focused on, if that makes sense. Connor, on a previous episode, I mentioned on a boiling point that a lot of people don't test raw water. And when I asked them why they don't test for that, they tell me they don't have enough time to run all those tests. And I know through working with you, you were very diligent in learning every single test that you have in your kit and also when to run what and, and how to organize things. Uh, do you mind sharing with our listeners how you do that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, this actually ties back maybe into one of the things that frustrated me about the job, and that was what felt like wasted time or inefficiencies. And, and so – with testing, when I first started, of course, and I'm learning, um, you know, you're just kind of going down the list. And then it doesn't take long for, for – it didn't take long for me to realize that, you know, there's probably a better way to do this. So then, so then I started really learning and understanding, okay, what is the test? What's the methodology? And is there a time limit between, you know, when I take the sample and when I actually have to run it? So that's kind of how I approach it now, trying to condense down that testing into the shortest amount of time possible so I can get back out there doing the things, you know, that I love um, offering technical support and really sales. I, I, that's probably my favorite part of the job is, is the actual, you know, technical selling. Um, so what I do is really um, I, I make sure I grab all of my samples at once so I'm not, you know, running back and forth. Uh, I make sure I get enough of a sample. Um, nothing frustrates me more than getting halfway through the service visit and then having to go back and grab um, another sample, especially if it's a boiler sample and it, you know, they don't have a sample cooler and it's just a, it's a whole fiasco. So um, that's, that's the starting point. And then of course, 
is there something that needs to be tested right away? Um, you know, free chlorine residual or your sulfite on the boiler. Um, something that, you know, by waiting, you could skew your results. That, that always comes first. And then after that, I start the tests that take the longest, um, and have the reactions going or whatever may, uh, be needed for that. And then once those are going, then I start to fill in the, the rest of the time sequentially just in terms of everything else that's relatively, you know, takes relatively the same amount of time. Um, and then hopefully um, by the end, when I'm finished with everything else, the other reactions are finishing up, I can finalize that test, record my results, talk to the person before I leave and, uh, you know, get out of there in a, in a timely manner. Those are some great tips. Have you ever timed yourself and said, okay, I'm going to see if I can shave two minutes off of this? You know, I, I've never actually set a, a stopwatch, but I typically know, you know, roughly how long the entire visit should take or the, the quickest I've ever gotten out of there. So I'm a pretty competitive person, I, I uh, and so I, I definitely pay attention to that and want to at least um, – you know, make that happen. And sometimes I get myself into trouble, though, because I'll schedule my day assuming I'm going to hit um, that record time at, at most of the accounts, and then I end up working, uh, you know, a longer day than I intended. But, uh, no, I, I think it's 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 um, a lot of fun to try and, you know, keep things competitive, um, even if it's just trying to be as efficient as possible in testing. But um, that's one of the things that I, I – you know, that helps me get through the service component. Yeah, I'm always amazed at the number of water treaters out there that consider the account service just because they ran tests. And and you say that the best part is working with the customer and giving technical advice, and I can't agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, the, the testing itself is, to me, it's just a, a means to the end, right? I, I want to be making sure that I, I know what I'm talking about and have the knowledge when I do go to the customer. But I really like taking all the inputs and variables and understanding what's going on and then being able to, you know, teach that to the customer or share what, share what, you know, we're seeing in the system and how that may be improved or is evidence that we are doing what we said we would when we took over the account. You know, that's interesting. When I work with people, a lot of people are scared to give up what they covet as their own knowledge to the customer, but it sounds like you're saying the more knowledge that you help them get, the, the better the account's going to be and the more successful everybody's going to yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a little bit contrary to the typical, you know, water treatment industry as a whole, but I'm a big fan of transparency and sharing that knowledge. And, and I, I've seen how much there is out there, how long it takes and how much dedication. So I'm not worried about the customer knowing it all or knowing more than me. So uh, to me, the, the more educated, educated a customer is, the better off I am in terms of retaining the business or picking up the business because um, I want to make sure that they understand and value the knowledge. All right, Connor. Well, now comes the lightning round part of our interview. Are you ready for this? Oh, I better be, huh? All right. So uh, first question, or what are the last three books that you've read? The last three books that I've read. Um, so I, I kind of have a problem of uh, – starting a lot of books and reading them all simultaneously. So um, the last one that I finished was a book called The One Thing, and that's a business book. Um, 
I believe the author is Gary Keller. Um, but basically it talks about, you know, figuring it out what the one thing you can do every day is that will make everything else easier. Um, and that's a, obviously a, an extreme simplification of the book. But I think it's a useful book to read to then apply it to your personal life or your business to, to really understand what it, where it is you should be spending your time. So that, that was a good one. Um, I'm also reading one of the Game of Thrones books uh, right now. I think it's the fourth or fifth one. I should know that off the top of my head. I think it's the fourth one. And that's I, I held out and didn't watch any of the Game of Thrones shows, and I still haven't because I wanted to read the books first because I don't like reading the books after watching. And, I'm a, and I, I know the book is always better. So that's another one. And then I just started a book last night. Um, I think it's called Continental Divide, and it's um, this is going to sound really dry to most of you, but it's a, a history of the United States told through the prism of mountaineering. So basically the history of mountaineering in the United States, starting with, you know, accounts of people climbing some of the um, mountains on the East Coast in the 1600s. So I think that that's kind of always interesting. Uh, I'm a big fan of the outdoors and the mountains. So it's cool to read about, you know, people 400 years ago doing some of the things that I enjoy doing now. Well, it's a very well-rounded reading list. Uh, that's uh, just about every topic there is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try not to get stuck in one category because I think that it's important to to draw knowledge from across different um, disciplines, and I think that that just helps in all aspects of life. And, you know, I've, I learned things in history books that I can apply to business, of course, and, you know, my professional career, um, and then fiction I always like to have a fiction book because it allows me to turn my mind off before I go to bed. So usually I'll read fiction for like 45, 30 minutes before I go to bed. That way I'm not thinking about what I have to do the next day or what I did today um, from a work standpoint when I'm, when I'm going to bed. Well, I cannot believe you have not seen any of the television show Game of Thrones. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to uh, be able to reward myself once I'm done with the books. So I guess I better start reading. I can actually tie water treatment and Game of Thrones back. I was doing some consulting with some people, and, of course, all the real work is done at the bar. And somebody asked me a question about what was going on, and I answered it. And he looked at me, how on earth did you know that? So I use a tyranny quote. I said, that's what I do. I drink, and I know things. But you wouldn't know that because you haven't seen the show. <laughs> but I read the books, and I don't remember that quote. So maybe I'm either not, I'm either not there yet or I'm not reading close enough. So if they were to make a movie about Connor Parrish, who would play you? Oh, gosh. That is – I feel like this is such a loaded question because you can come across so poorly depending on who you say. Oh, yes. That, that will be lots of judgment. Right. Absolutely. So, um, gosh, I, I'm trying to think if someone's ever told me someone that, that would fit that. Um, and, and no one's coming to mind. Um, and, and truthfully, my knowledge of pop culture is pretty poor, so it's, I, I don't have a whole lot of names to pull from here. Um, man, why don't we go with uh, Jason Statham, because he seems pretty cool. Fair enough. So my last question for you, Connor, and you, you've been a great guest. I really appreciate you being here. Last question is, if you could have a conversation with anyone throughout history, who would it be and why? You know, I've been trying to, to come up with a, a really uh, intellectual answer for this or, or something that – because I've, I've had this question asked me before, and I always, have, I always struggle over it. And, you know, 
of course, the the usual suspects come to mind, and I was going to say Ben Franklin, um, but of course Tom said that in episode three, so I feel like that's cheating if I say the same thing. So now it's like, okay, who would I who would I meet that's not Ben Franklin or one of the usual you know U.S. history people? Um, and and what and then I looked, and actually another book I'm reading is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and so I think Marcus Aurelius will be my answer because. You know, in reading this book, which really wasn't intended to be published publicly, um, you kind of get into the head of, at the time, the most powerful person in the world and how he's writing every night to himself to be a good person um, and to treat people with respect and, and things like that. So I think it's really interesting how, you know, in a time, in an era back then when you, I guess, view it with such, I guess, maybe negativity in terms of how they treated people. And I'm not saying that, you know, he, he's the, the perfect case of how, of, to, of how to treat people. But I think it's interesting that someone in his position back then was reflecting daily in um, ways to improve himself and how he treats people. All right. Well, hey, I think it's been fun. I hope uh, people out there have learned a lot from uh, what you've been able to talk about, and I really appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I appreciate uh, being invited to be on here, and it's uh, I think it's a great thing that you're starting this, and I'm excited to see where it goes because I think it's going to be very su- successful. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. A couple of things I want to remind you about. The first thing is the Association of Water Technology's annual convention and exposition is coming up September 13th through 16th. So if you have not made your reservations to attend the show, please, when you finish this podcast, make sure that's the next thing that you do. Early registration is ending soon. You don't want to pay more for something just simply because you lacked planning for it. So make sure you make those reservations. Make sure you make your hotel reservations those book up quickly and you want to make sure you stay at the host hotel because there's a lot going on there. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to tell me what you think about this show, what you want to hear about. I get all my ideas from you. So go to scalinguph2o.com. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want to hear. By the way, Telling me what you want to hear isn't free consulting. I don't mind helping you guys out if you have a couple of questions. But keep in mind, that's how I make my living. So so please let me know what you want to hear about the show. And if you have a specific problem, I'll try to help you out one-to-one as best as I can. That being said, it's been a lot of fun today. I hope you've learned something. I hope you're going to try something new that you haven't tried before. And I hope you're going to be a better water treater tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on Scale